0: Welcome to the latest episode of Mersey Waves. I'm Jennifer Bruce from Liverpool City Council's communications team. Today I'm talking to Scott Beeland, an ICU nurse at the Royal Liverpool University Hospital, who was recently reconnected with Graham Smith, a patient he'd helped save from COVID-19 during the first wave of this pandemic, and a member of our Liverpool Street Scene Services team. How are you? Mate? I get up and give you the organ a kiss but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not allowed to. Graham surprised Scott during this heartwarming reunion when he gave him an army medal for services in Bosnia to say thank you.
1: It's a medal that was given to me from the the forces. Wow, that is amazing. Thank you very much.
0: Scott, who is a father of one, has been an ICU nurse for 20 years. There's not much he hasn't seen. So I caught up with Scott after the reunion to find out what life is like inside the Royals ICU during the second wave of this pandemic. What was it like seeing Graham after almost a year?
1: To see somebody like Graham, who came to us and got really sick, And obviously the only connection we had with his family was the video calls that we were allowed to do with him. To see that and to see him as good as he is now is mind blowing because we don't see that. We don't get that connection normally because there's so many people coming through the door and we treat them the best we can. And we hope obviously the the results are going to be as good as we can. Um, But that's where the connection sort of finishes. So to see somebody like Graham and his family now is is amazing because it just adds a real sort of human connection to it. To actually see what a difference the work that we've done has made to them, because you know it could have been it could have been so different for them.
0: What did you think when he gave you the medal?
1: This, this, <laughs> I mean, that's special. That is special. You know, to give up something like this in in recognition of of. People that helped save his life. You know, you don't forget. You don't forget things like this. You don't, you don't. So it, it's amazing to see this. Amazing.
0: What has the past year been like for you and your colleagues?
1: For me, it, like I said, you know, I've done intensive care for a long time. There's uh, sort of seen everything really. And I mean, the, the sort of the pandemic, it, it it is horrendous because obviously none of us knew when it when it first came. None of us knew what we were going to expect. Um, and none of us know, you know, are we going to be lucky to avoid it? Um, obviously, we're, we're blessed and we've got lots of procedures for sort of hand washing and and PPE and all that kind of thing. So we're as safe as we can be. But it is a little bit of a lottery as to, you know, you could get it. Um, so you've got to learn to deal with your own fears as well as At the end of the day, we're there to do a job. So we've got to go into work. And regardless of whether it's the COVID pandemic or whether it's just another intensive care patient, we've still got to do what we're there to do. Um, But it's been a lot harder because because of what it is, because of the level of, you know, it's exhausting. It really is. It's relentless. It's exhausting. We're in there for sort of 12, 13 hours. There's big chunks of that where... You can't have a drink. You can't go to the toilet. You're working at a really, I mean, intensive care is a sort of high level of working anyway. And it takes a lot of sort of planning and, and thought and skill. But you've got to do that under the extra pressure of the patients that are deteriorating really quickly. The fact that you're laden in loads of layers of PPE. It's hot. It's stressful. It's ridiculously busy. Um, it's really hard to cope with that and you've got to, for the shift that you're there you've got to keep going, you've got to do your best all the time because we're dealing with patients' lives and and families that are waiting for people to go home and then you go home and there's a little bit of relief because you you can sort of, you can breathe, you can drink you can sit down, have a bit of a rest but you've got to have in your brain that you're going to go back in it might be the next day. It might be a day or so's time. But you've got to find a way of letting all that go because you've got to be ready to do it again the next day and it's hard and it doesn't get any easier.
0: How do you cope with that fear? How do you get out of bed in the morning and go to work knowing what you're about to face?
1: I have to rationalise it in that Again, for me, yes, we're in the middle of the pandemic and COVID is new to everybody, but I've still got to go in and do the best job that I can do as an ITU nurse. And that's what I do. The fact that we're obviously dealing with with COVID-19 now, I have to have faith in the system. I have to have faith in, in the PPE that we get given to wear. I have to have faith in that I've learned the procedures to keep myself safe and to keep my colleagues safe um and i I think that's how you've got to do it you've got to have faith that you know that the system is is doing its best to protect us because we've got to keep going and we've got to keep going in to do our job to to help these people um and you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. You've got you got you've got to look after your own safety. You've got to look after your colleague's safety. So all these, it's all well and good having the PPE and the procedures and the policies, but you've got to be mindful all the time. You've got to be super careful to to, to make sure things are done properly.
0: This wave of the pandemic has been described as different from the first. How is what you're experiencing currently different from the start of this pandemic?
1: I think it's different because. Certainly locally from our unit, we're seeing younger patients come through the door. We're seeing people, I think everybody's got a sort of, you, you can relate to age groups, and obviously it's easier to relate to people in your own age group. So the first wave, yes, there were people in the 40s, 50s, but the vast majority of people were in the sort of 65s to 80s. This time, we're seeing lots of patients in their thirties, forties, fifties. There's lots of us that are that age. So we are seeing people come through the door who are critically unwell, who are needing huge levels of care, who are not surviving, who are my age, who are your age. And that's hard. Because it could be me. It could be you. It could be my sister it becomes much more real. It becomes much more scary. And it becomes much more tangible because their life is like my life. They do the same things as me. They enjoy the same things as me. They've got kids. They might have really young children. They might be starting families. They might have just got married and these people are coming in really sick, and some of them are dying. That's hard, hard.
0: Has the way you're treating patients changed?
1: The nature of it is a little bit different in the way that we do things. So in the first wave, and again, not unique to our hospital, the first wave, lots of people got really sick, lots of people got ventilated. Lots of people didn't survive and then the management strategies changed, the the treatment strategies changed, new research came out, new drugs come out, new new decisions on how to treat people come out. So there was a big shift towards trying not to put people on ventilators. So we manage people on CPAP where they have a lot of pressure given to them and a lot of oxygen, but we don't intubate them and and ventilate them. so people seem to do that for, you know, that, that's, the, that's the sort of first line choice of treatment. And people can be on that for a long time and do okay. But it changes the, changes the dynamic a little bit because those patients that come into us now are awake for a lot longer. So that means you engage with them for a lot longer. You get more invested in, in them as a person. Which is good because you can push them along, push them along and, and encourage them to do as much as they can to try and get through this. But there is a flip side to that in that you invest more time and more, more personal engagement with that patient. And then if they get to the point where they can't cope and they do get intubated and they do end up ventilators, and they further deteriorate, that's harder to deal with because you've invested more tangible time with that patient and maybe the family. So you've got to know them a lot better. And it becomes harder then to deal with what's happening because you've developed a different relationship with them. And that changes how It doesn't change how you do the job because you've still got to do the job but it changes how that interaction feels and depending on what the outcome is it changes it an awful lot it changes it
0: are you able to switch off when you go home
1: largely for me yes um because i think i've i've learned to that's what i've learned to do um some days you can't some days it's really hard because like I said you know we're looking after the sickest people in the hospital or some of the sickest people in the hospital so you put all your effort into doing your best you can for them Um, and obviously a lot of the time it goes well the patients are getting better but we we, obviously we do have some patients that you're throwing huge amounts of effort into and scale the whole team is working flat out and these people are going through hell absolute hell and some of them aren't surviving and to see the likes of graham doing video calls to his wife where it might be the last call he's ever going to make or if they're too sick that we do a video call with the family to explain what's happening even if it's an end of life situation so we're, we're trying to speak to a family and we can see them on screen and explain what is going on and why it's going on and why we can't make it any better. Sometimes it is impossible to not take that home because these are human beings. They're not just numbers. These are real people and they've got real families. They've got kids, they've got grandkids. So as much as you can, you've got to let that go at the door but sometimes, no, you can't. But you've got to rationalize it. So it would probably be a little bit inhuman to say that you've got to leave it at the door all the time because the, these aren't machines. These are people, and these are people's lives. Um, but for your own sanity and your own well-being, you've got to be able to leave leave it at the door as much as you can. And you do it again the next day.
0: What you're describing sounds really, really difficult. And I think a lot of people get that to some extent. So, when NHS workers are described as heroes, how does that make you feel?
1: We're not heroes, are we? Well, <laughs> we're there to do our job. We're all, you know, be, be it a trained nurse, be it a healthcare assistant, be it the doctors, the consultants, you know, the cleaners, everybody. We're there doing our job. We're there doing the job that we're used to doing. So as an everyday job, are we heroes? No, we're not heroes. We're there to do a job. But this is, the, you know, this is different. The pandemic is different. It's scary. It's terrifying for lots of people. It's exhausting. Lots of us are trying to do extra shifts to help out because it is so busy. Um, and yet, you know, people call us heroes. And, and but I don't know about that. I think, you know, we're there. We do our job. We, we do the job because we choose to do the job. Yes, it's hard. It's exhausting. But everybody's life at the moment is hard. Um, everybody's having to do things differently, not see families, not do their normal things, Everybody's going through emotional stress, physical stress. I think everybody's got, everybody's got something that's happening to them or having to deal with an element of life or adapt that maybe makes them a hero too. Um, maybe, maybe we're not heroes. Maybe we're th- those of us that are lucky to carry on doing what we do, I don't know, are we just normal people? I don't know.
0: You sound a little uncomfortable with that idea. So let's just say, for argument's sake, you are heroes. Do you think there's a price to be paid for being a hero?
1: Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of people that are going to pay a heavy price for this. Um, you know, it, it, it's. there's a lots of nurses, there's lots of doctors, there's lots of healthcare assistants that are, or have and are actively suffering burnout. Um, Not just from the physical, I mean, the physical effort of doing this job at the moment is ridiculous. It's so hard, it's exhausting. Um, You go home, you're exhausted, you wake up, you're exhausted, you've got to come back in and do it again. But yeah, at the end, you know, in the background there is fear, because people are fearful of getting the virus. Because obviously, we see all these people coming in horrendously sick. We're ventilating people. We're doing all sorts of advanced therapies. We're seeing, unfortunately, younger and younger people come through the door, and they're going through hell. Some of them aren't surviving. And they're all our age. So, yeah, in the back of your mind, you think, I I don't want this to happen to me. Um, So there is a lot of fear, and just on, on on a virus basis, um, but also, how long can we work to this level of exhaustion and mental fatigue and stress? A lot of people, I don't know. It's it, you know, it is it is. It's breaking people. It's exhausting people. Um, people can't cope with. Lots of elements of this, the, the, the level of work, the exhaustion, the isolation from family. We've got lots of n- nurses from overseas in, in intensive care and obviously in the hospital, but in our unit in intensive care, we've got nurses whose family are in the Philippines, in Africa, in, in India, and they haven't seen their families for over a year. Now, my family live in North Wales. I've seen my family a very small handful of times in the last 12 months when regulations have allowed and when safety is allowed obviously my parents are in their 70s so it's been important to try and shield them so i've seen my family a very small handful of times during the last year which has been hard and i've seen my daughter okay i'm seeing her at the moment but i've had nine six to nine months where i haven't seen her at all she's really hard because she's growing up she's nearly you know she's 11 12 years old but we've got lots of nurses that haven't seen their families for well over a year and that must be horrendous because for lots of us particularly people who are you know have got families abroad and they might not be married they might be single they've got nobody so we come in and we do this job for 12 14 hours and we go home and there's nobody there we're dealing with people's lives we're dealing with young families that are being torn apart by this this virus we're having to speak to patients, we're having to speak to families who are literally terrified that, that this is the end. And there's a lot of a lot of people that, that if they can't release that, it makes doing the job terrifying. When is it going to end? You know, we, we were sort of at the end of wave one, when it, it sort of died down a little bit, everybody breathed a bit of a sigh of relief. Maybe this is it. Maybe we're going to go back to normal life. And here we are in february 2021 and we're, and we're going again it's on the rise and there just doesn't seem to be an end to it so everybody's kind of lost a big chunk of of what normal life is and will it ever get back to normal um that's it's hard that's hard on the brain it's hard on the brain
0: so, is there potential for NHS workers to be suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder at the end of all of this?
1: I think it's well. I don't think <laughs> I don't think we're talking potential now. You know, we've even you know our unit itself, throughout the hospital, throughout the NHS, there are huge numbers, probably large numbers of nurses, doctors, they were off with stress, with exhaustion, with PTSD because pe- people have seen things that nobody should ever see Um, and because of a lot of those normal coping mechanisms that have been taken away like family contact, like friends contact like the ability to go jet skiing or mountain climbing whatever it is that's your thing that's been taken away because it has to be taken away so you've got no release to to rationalise things in your brain and let things go you can't see your family you can't see your friends so you can't offload, all this relentless stress and exhaustion. So, and and obviously the things that we see are outside of nursing and, you know, even the doctors. I mean, I have to relate this to nursing because that's what I do. We see the worst things all the time. But the, the, the pandemic's made things a lot different because it is it is so different. Um, And it it is, there's going to be lots of people that will never be able to, or for a long, long time, will never be able to rationalise this in their heads, and they're suffering some horrendous, horrendous effects from this. Yeah.
0: So how does it make you feel when you hear or read that this is all made up, it's all fake, it's a conspiracy?
1: That's wearing. It really is tiring, because... We're going through one of the worst things most of us have seen and hopefully will ever see. And people are spending huge amounts of time and effort in trying to discredit it, call it fake, discredit the people who are trying their best to try and save as many lives as possible. It's I can't, I don't get it, I don't get it.
0: Are there any patients that have stood out for you or stuck in your mind?
1: Nobody will ever forget the first patient we got. So the first patient we got was an elderly man who was with us quite a long time and went through all of the really bad things that can happen to an intensive care patient and he survived and he got out. We were as prepared as we could be for COVID-19 but nobody had ever seen it. Nobody knew how it was gonna go. I think, yeah, your first one that comes through the door, you're not going to forget because that's, that's the, it's a milestone, isn't it? It's a, it's a slightly macabre milestone, but it's a milestone in that that's when it started. And he was lucky enough and strong enough that he survived it. So, he's, you know, he won't get forgotten. None of these patients get forgotten because they're all people. But some of them will always stick in your mind.
0: In amongst all the difficulties that you've endured over the past year is there anything positive that has come out of all of this?
1: What I'm most grateful for at the moment to be fair is the team that I work with because it it is literally it 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 becomes your family. You know, we have a great team. We've all, a lot of us have worked together for a long long time, so we know each other inside out. And when the virus arrives, you know, we had to invent this whole new way of doing things and a whole new different level of relying on each other. So actually, one of the best things at the minute is watching and working with my team to see how well we do and how well we look after each other. Because really, for, for a lot of the time, that's all we've got, is some people have got very different lives to what they're used to and very different mechanisms of being able to deal with what they've got used to. So you've got to make the best of what you've got. Going in and working with your team and seeing things succeed, you've got to take a lot from that. You've got to take a lot from that. But I think you've still got to, you've still got to maintain in your head that big element of of hope and looking forward to, you know, when this is all over, we can all get back to what was normal life. And I think it's very important to hold on to that because for lots of people out there me included really that's all we've got isn't it that we hope that things can go back to normal and you want obviously the people that are closest to you and dearest to you you want all them to be with you and hopefully we'll get there i think everybody's had enough you know it's It's hard. It's hard. Life is hard. Nobody expected this to happen. Nobody knew how to deal with it. Lots of people still don't know how to deal with it. I think everybody just wants it to go away and stop, you know?
0: If you found that interview thought-provoking, please take a listen to other content produced by the communications team at Liverpool City Council. And if you would like to be a subscriber and get an alert every time new audio is produced then sign up by going to merseywaves.co.uk and hitting the subscribe button.